Hello, my friends. Congratulations. We did it. We finally made our way to the end of the education of Henry Adams. And now that we've worked our way through a lot of the biographical stuff, a lot of the political stuff, um, we get to focus on and think about and talk about the part of this book that I think has really, uh, is the reason why it's often considered such a beloved, memorable book. Um, the way in which the book documents and describes this transition into the modern age in which we live. The way in which Henry Adams feels sort of like this poet, this celestial muse of modernity, singing and talking and reflecting and philosophizing rapturously at times about what this modern age is. Of course, modernity is something we take for granted now. We don't think about it. Um, we, we take for granted the screens that mediate our life and the invisible radiation that makes telecommunications possible. But for Henry Adams, these were revelations. These were brand new ways of thinking and interacting with the world. It was sort of that turning point in history where man uh, demonstrated its dominance, its conquest of nature. It's, it's real, the, the supremacy, the power of technology was manifest for the first time in human history. And not just the power of technology, um, but the, the rapid growth the sense of you're hitting an exponential growth pattern, that power output is doubling on a consistent basis, that if you follow this trend, we're, we're headed uh, into unimaginable territory. And so this part of the book centers on Henry Adams visiting three different world fairs. He visits the Chicago World Fair in 1893, he visits the Great Exposition in Paris, which was a World's Fair in Paris in 1900, and he visits the St. Louis World's Fair in 1903. And he describes the scenes, he describes the crowds, he describes the experience of standing under electric light. Um, he, he talks about this uh, just incredible poetic rapture of uh, experiencing the St. Louis World's Fair lit up with electric light. It's just something that he can hardly comprehend what he's seeing, the beauty and the power and the magnificence of this image, of this experience. On top of this sort of experiential component, this marveling at modernity, he's actively trying to understand. He's actively trying to make sense. He describes at this part, this stage of his education, trying to learn about modern technology, modern forces, electricity, and how maddeningly difficult it is. And on top of that, he's trying to put together to describe a formula, a process at which he sees history evolving from the past to the future. And um, by the end of this video, I will try to briefly summarize what that philosophy that he comes up with looks like. And so this is a quote of Henry Adams describing what it's like to try to learn science at this stage in his life, at this stage in human history. Of course, we take it for granted that Henry Adams is a smart guy. He knows he's a smart guy. He's had no problem learning things in the past. He's always been very curious and ex eager and excited to learn new things. And so here he is trying to learn new things about this new technology, this new science. Quote, the most elementary books of science betrayed the inadequacy of old implements of thought. Chapter after chapter closed with phrases such as one never met in older literature. The cause of this phenomenon is not understood. Science no longer ventures to explain causes. The first step towards a causal explanation still remains to be taken. Opinions are very much divided, in spite of the contradictions involved. Science gets on only by adopting different theories, sometimes contradictory. 
Those were all different quotes from the books that he's been reading. He continues now. Evidently, the new American would need to think in contradictions. And instead of Kant's famous four antinomies, the new universe would know no law that could not be proved by its anti-law. He continues. To educate oneself to begin with had been the effort of one's life for 60 years. And the difficulties of education had gone on doubling with the coal output until the prospect of waiting another 10 years in order to face a seventh doubling of complexities allured one's imagination but slightly. No scheme could be suggested to the new American, and no fault needed to be found or complaint made. But the next great influx of new forces seemed near at hand, and its style of education promised to be violently coercive. End quote. And what amazes me here and at other places in the book, the certainty, the, the clear-eyed way in which Henry Adams sees an exponential growth, he sees this doubling of coal output, this increasing complexity, and he correctly, correctly extrapolates that forward. And he says this is not a temporary thing. The future we are moving towards is exponential growth. When he describes these expositions, when he describes his experience with new technology, he fixates, he's fascinated by the dynamo. Um, of course, everyone knows what the dynamo is from the very well-known and famous line of uh, Allen Ginsberg, the opening lines of the poem Howl. I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves through the Negro streets at dawn, looking for an angry fix, angel-headed hipsters burning for the ancient heavenly connection to the starry dynamo in the machinery of night. And so, of course, the dynamo, the starry dynamo in the machinery of night, the dynamo is a machine that uh, generates electricity. It's like the parent of like the modern electric generator. So you have a spinning wheel, something's turning a wheel, and that generates electricity, which is lighting up light bulbs. So in the cases of these world's fairs where you have uh, tons of electricity and electric light, electrification, there's these dynamos that are spinning, that are generating the electric power necessary. So Henry Adams is entranced by these dynamos. So in this section of the book, uh, the chapter is called The Dynamo and the Virgin, and this is uh, uh, describing his experience at the Great Exposition in Paris. So in this scene, he's talking to a guide who's a scientist who works at the Smithsonian, apparently, and this uh, guide explains to Adams what the dynamo is. So, quote, to him, namely the guide, the dynamo itself was but an ingenious channel for conveying somewhere the heat latent in a few tons of poor coal hidden in a dirty engine house carefully kept out of sight. But to Adams, the dynamo became a symbol of infinity. As he grew accustomed to the great gallery of machines, he began to feel the 40-foot dynamos as a moral force, much as the early Christians felt the cross. The planet itself seemed less impressive in its old-fashioned, deliberate, annual, or daily revolution than this huge wheel revolving within arm's length at some vertiginous speed and barely murmuring, scarcely humming an audible warning to stand a hair's breadth further for respect of power, while it would not wake the baby lying close against its frame. Before the end, one began to pray to it. Inherited instinct taught the natural expression of man before silent and infinite force. So here Henry Adams is describing the juxtaposition of the dynamos at this World's Fair with the steam engine, which is also visible as another piece of technology, although an older piece, a less modern piece of energy technology. 
So, quote, between the dynamo in the gallery of machines and the engine house outside, the break of continuity amounted to abysmal fracture for a historian's objects. No more relation could he discover between the steam and the electric current than between the cross and the cathedral. The forces were interchangeable, if not reversible, but he could see only an absolute fiat in electricity as in faith. And this highlights a major theme of this later section of the book, the religious power uh, of, of modern technology, the way in which Henry Adams is trying to make sense, he's trying to conceptualize a movement in history from the, a religious power to a technological power, um, as if one is transmuting into the other. The last quote I just want to read here, um, just to give a sense of the variety of expressions and ideas uh, that are found in this book, um, is a scene from the book from the St. Louis World's Fair, where Henry Adams learns about an assassination that happened in Russia. And so he's very disturbed by this news, and he decides to rest, to take refuge in a church, and he sees an image, an icon of the Virgin Mary, and he reflects on this, uh, the role, again, of religion um, at this point in time in history. And he says, The Virgin herself never looked so winning, so won, as in the scandalous failure of her grace. And so this failure of her grace is uh, this, this tragedy that he hears about, this polit political catastrophe, this assassination. He continues, To what purpose had she existed if after 1900 years the world was bloodier than when she was born? The stupendous failure of Christianity tortured history. The effort for unity could not be a partial success. Even alternating unity resolved itself into meaningless motion at last. To the tired student, the idea that he must give it up seemed sheer senility. As long as he could whisper, he would go on as he had begun, bluntly refusing to meet his creator with the admission that the creation had taught him nothing except that the square of the hypotenuse of a right-angled triangle might for convenience be taken as equal to something else. Every man with self-respect enough to become effective, if only as a machine, has had to account to himself for himself somehow and to invent a formula of his own for his universe, if the standard formulas failed. There, whether finished or not, education stopped, end quote. And so again, you have this reflection on the complexity of the moment, living at this turning point in history, um, but of course, subject to the same political and human tragedies uh, that would continue to plague the modern world for the next hundred years. There's much more I could read from this part of the book. It's really magnificent to behold, especially as we, I think, uh, are standing on the precipice of our own technological revolution. Um, I think if we want to take a similar perspective to Henry Adams, uh, we could do that with respect to artificial intelligence and ask ourselves, you know, if we project the progress in artificial intelligence that we've seen over the past 10 years, um, the next generation is going to look totally different. Um, totally, totally new and shocking and surprising. Um, and I'll just end, you know, without reading it, but just giving sort of bullet points, uh, the kind of philosophical, historical notion that Adams develops in these later chapters, which is he understands history as having moved from a multiplicity of forces, um, the multiplicity of pagan gods, this multiplicity, uh, uh, animate universe that was full of demons and spirits 
and uh, idols and, and all these different gods uh, were unified in the image of the cross. And the cross became this sort of power, this unified power source that motivated human history, that motivated human action. And then technology, he understands, modernity is an unraveling, um, an, an, a, a breaking up of that unity into a new multiplicity, a multiplicity of physical forces, a multiplicity of contradictory equations and contradictory uh, technologies. And so that's, that's it. We've, um, we've finished our read-through of The Education of Henry Adams. Thank you so much for joining me. I think it was um, a lot of fun. Uh, at times it was boring, but, but that's life. Um, and I hope you will join me on the next read-along project. Thank you so much for watching.